Let's open our Bibles to um, Daniel chapter 4, where Paul was reading for us earlier. Uh, I've entitled the message, Getting Cut Down to Size. And our text is chapter 4, verse 34. At the end of time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my understanding returned to me. And I bless the Most High in praise and honor him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to his will in the army of heaven. And among the inhabitants of the earth, no one can restrain his hand or say to him, What have you done? And at the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my honor and splendor returned to me. My counselors and nobles resorted to me. I was restored to my kingdom, and excellent majesty was added to me. Now, I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and honor the King of heaven, of all whose works are true and his ways justice, and those who walk in pride, he is able to abase. Now, for this chapter to make any sense at all, we need to go back to chapter 2. Chapter 2 of, is, of course, Daniel has, comes to Babylon at the, the age of about 17. He's a young man. He um, came when Nebuchadnezzar first laid his first attack to Jerusalem. I like to say they, they sort of took the cream of the crop, and that would have been Daniel and his friends. And um, while he is raised up um, in chapter 1, he's interviewed by the king, and Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were considered ten times wiser than all the other wise men in Babylon. That's chapter 1. So they're elevated to a position of authority. Now in chapter 2, um, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, and it troubles him greatly. And what the dream we'll put up on the screen right now, um, he refused to give the dream to the wise men because it was so important to him. He didn't want them getting together in some back room and talking it over and say, we really don't know what this means, but if you tell us what you dreamt, then we will give the interpretation. And Nebuchadnezzar said, I won't have any of that. If you guys don't do what I tell you to do, I'm going to kill you, and I'm going to raise your houses. There'll be nothing left. And that edict not only fell on the wise men of Babylon, but it also fell on the head of Daniel and his three friends. And the word the word got out, and Daniel um, found out people were looking for him to kill him. And um, he implores a guy named Arioch to go to the king and plead with him just for a little time. He wants to have a prayer meeting uh, with his friends that the Lord in heaven might reveal to Daniel what this, what this is all about. So in chapter 2, Daniel does pray. The Lord does answer him. He not only gives him the, interp- uh, the interpretation of the dream, he just lays it all out. He said, um, uh, King, that the image that you saw had a head of gold. It had uh, a chest of silver. It had a belly of uh, bronze, and its feet were of iron, and, and its toes and feet were partially of clay and partly of iron, partly strong. And put yourself in <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar's throne. And I mean, Daniel's just nailing every one. That's exactly what I saw. But what does it mean? And now the rest of chapter 2 is Daniel goes on and explains to King Nebuchadnezzar, this is the meaning of the dream. King Nebuchadnezzar, you're the head of gold. There's never been anybody like you. And uh, just as silver is as inferior to gold, there's going to come another kingdom. In other words, your kingdom is going to be overcome, but it's going to be inferior as silver is inferior to gold. And then after them, there will rise another kingdom, and then another kingdom. Now, this is just history. There's two that are not mentioned here, Egypt and Assyria. 
and they're not involved in the dream because it, it, it wouldn't apply. So he starts with Babylon. So there's the Babylonian Empire, and he's the head of gold. Overtaken by the Medes and the Persians. We'll get to that when we get to chapter 5. In one night, Babylon is going to fall to the Medes and the Persians. But they're going to be defeated eventually by Alexander the Great and the Grecians. And then eventually we have the Roman Empire. Now, we have not had a world empire since the Romans. They destroyed Jerusalem in 70 AD. The Jews were scattered across the world. But then also in the dream, he said, I saw a stone come come out of nowhere. And it hit the image in the feet and the gold and the silver all came down like chaff or like the seeds that you saw falling out of the trees, raining like <laughs> we saw in our backyard yesterday. And the wind just blew them all away. But the stone became a great mountain. And he says, in, uh, let's pick it up in verse 45 of chapter 2, Inasmuch as you saw the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, the gold. The great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after, after this. The dream is certain, and the interpretation is true. And all Nebuchadnezzar could do is fall on his face before Daniel. And um, he laid prostrate, it says, before Daniel. And he commanded that there's no God like Daniel's God, who can reveal secrets like this. And so he makes Daniel the most second powerful man in all of the world. Second only to Nebuchadnezzar. That's chapter 2. His attitude changes by the time we get to chapter 3, and he had a chance to think about it. He says, what do you mean another empire is going to take over Babylon? And in defiance, we have chapter 3, so he makes his own image. And I'll put a picture of that up on the screen. And here we have an image made out of solid gold. And the edict, uh, basically this is an act of defiance on uh, Nebuchadnezzar's part. He calls, I think it's 120 provinces, the known world, all the leaders, the magistrates, the counselors, it says the judges, the governors, the treasurers, they all had to come to the plain of Dura. And there, they had this orchestra, we're told, that um, had all kinds of instruments, horns, flutes, harp, all kinds of music. And when the music played, everybody was to fall down and worship this golden image. And so when the music played, everybody went down except for these three Jewish men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They couldn't do it. Now, this was last week's message. And I took you to Exodus chapter 20, and I gave you the second commandment. Thou shalt not make any graven image, image unto the Lord your God, neither shall you bow down to them. So as far as they were concerned, they just couldn't do it. And they didn't. So the word in verse 8 goes back to the king. He says, you know, there's three of your guys that you've raised up to be leaders in, in, in Babylon, and they refuse to bow down to the image. And uh, verse 13 says, Nebuchadnezzar was full of rage and anger, but he wants to give him a second chance. So he calls him in. And he says, I tell you what, guys, I'm going to give you a second chance at this. I'm going to let the music play again. And if you fall down, it says in verse 18, in worship, good. But if you don't, then I'm going to cast you into a furnace. And uh, their answer, you got to love these guys. Um, they said, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If, that, if that's the case, our God, who we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, we're not going to serve your gods. We're not going to worship the golden image that you have set up. So that really ticked him off. And he said, make that fire seven times hotter. And uh, this is where I want to pause again. And remember, on Wednesdays, we're going through the book of Revelation. I implore you to come out. 
As Paul would say, I beseech you, therefore, brethren. (laughs) I want you to see how these are intertwined. And the fact that it was heated seven times hotter is a picture of the Great Tribulation, the seven-year period of time. Um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are the remnant that are supernaturally protected during this period of time. And the deeper you go into these books, the deeper it gets, and it's mind-boggling. So set aside Wednesday nights. Make it a point, especially if you're studying Bible prophecy really for the first time. And you see just how detailed the Holy Spirit has intertwined of these books. The fact in, in uh, this chapter that Daniel's not mentioned in Daniel chapter 3 is significant. He's a picture of the church. And the church isn't going through the great tribulation, tribulation so he can't be in the story. Oh, he comes back again in chapter 4. So they refuse. The people who throw them in the fire, they're killed immediately. And um, down in verse 24, it says, uh, Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose in haste and, and spoke to his counselors. He said, hey, didn't we cast uh, three men bound into the midst of the fire? And they said, true, okay. And he says, well, look, I see four, and they're loose, and the fourth one looks like the Son of God. And we have the main point of last week's study is, like, like Randy said, you know, life's tough. It's hard. But... In the fire, the Lord is always in there with you. Good place for an amen. You're going to go through the trials, but he will never leave you. He'll never forsake you. Life is tough. It is hard. There are times you're in the fire. And we talked about the importance of trials, the necessity of trials. What does it do? It burns off those things that bind you. As gold is refined, just like a fiery trial. So that brings us up. I had to do that to get to chapter 4 because now, after this event, uh, he brings Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and he made a decree, verse 29, to all the nations of the world. He sends this decree that um, anybody who doesn't worship the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces and their houses will be made in ash heap. Because there's no other God who can deliver like this. And then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. All right, that brings us to our chapter this morning. I'm calling this getting cut down to size. The first three verses is actually a testimony. And so let's read those. Nebuchadnezzar the king, to the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I thought it good to declare the signs and wonders that the Most High God has worked for me. How great are his signs, and how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion is from generation to generation. And uh, we'll be doing this a couple times, but let me get to the end of the story, because this is his personal testimony. Go to the very last verse, we'll be quoting it often where he's worshiping the Lord again. And the last thing he says is those who walk in pride, he's able to humble. He's able to abase them. You see, the testimony was genuine. But the problem with, again, Randy had a great song about money. Uh, The great problem with money or pride is it has a tendency to puff up. And as a result, Nebuchadnezzar has another dream. And in the dream, um, he saw this uh, huge tree. And um, we're picking it up. Oh, let's see. He actually told the dream this time to the, the wise men in Babylon, but they couldn't do the interpretation. And verse 5 says, at last they called Daniel in. And... Um, whose name is Belshazzar, Belteshazzar, after the name of Nebuchadnezzar's God. He said, in him is the spirit of the holy God, and I told the dream before him, saying, so he explains that he had this dream and this great tree and that covered the whole earth, its leaves were lovely, its fruit, verse 12, was abundant. The beasts of the field found shade under it, the birds of the heaven dwelt in its branches, And all flesh 
was fed from it. And I, he goes on to say, I saw in the vision on my head while on my bed, and there was a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven. And he cried out with a loud voice, chop down the tree, cut off its branches, strip off its sleeves, and scatter the fruit, lest the beast get out from under it and emerge from its branches. Nevertheless, I want you to leave the stump and the roots in the earth bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass in the field. Let it be wet with the dew of heaven, and let him graze with the beasts of the grass of the earth. And let his heart be changed from that of a man, and give him a heart of an animal, until seven times pass over him. This decision is by the decree of the watchers, plural, and this, the sentence by the word of the holy ones. If you haven't got that underlined, do so. It is a reference to the Trinity, and it is um, an order coming from the throne, but it's in the plural, the holy ones. And um, it's given to whoever he wills and sets it over the lowest of men. And so he said, this is the dream. Now you, Belteshazzar, since... The wise men of my kingdom, they're not able to do the interpretation. But you are able, for the spirit of the holy God is in you. When Daniel hears a dream, it really reels him back. And he gets it right away. And he goes on to say, oh, King Nebuchadnezzar, I wish wish this dream wasn't about you. I wish this dream was concerning your enemies. But um, you're the tree. And the Lord showed and explained the interpretation through Daniel to Nebuchadnezzar. And that's from verses uh, 19 to 27 is the interpretation. So let's read through it. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was astonished for a time. His thoughts troubled him. So the king spoke and said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its interpretation trouble you. Belteshazzar, Daniel, said, My Lord, may the dream concern those who hate you and its interpretation concern your enemies. The tree that you saw, which grew and became strong, whose height reached to the heavens, which could be seen by all the earth, whose leaves were lovely and its fruit abundant, and which was food for all, under which the beasts of the field dwelt and on whose branches the birds of the heaven had their habitation, It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong, for your greatness has grown and reaches to the heavens, and your dominion is to the ends of the earth. And inasmuch as the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, Chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave its stump and roots of the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze, in the tender grass of the field, Let it be wet with the dew of heaven, and let him graze with the beasts of the field till seven times pass over him. I want to just stop right here with the seven times. I've read different commentaries as they try to figure out how long is seven times. Is it seven years? Possibly. Um, His hair is going to grow real long. His fingernails are going to be like eagle's talons. It could be seven moons or seven months. We don't know. Um, It could be seven seasons, an undetermined period of time. But it is a length of time uh, that the scriptures simply tell us here until seven times pass over him. Then he says, this is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree of the Most High, which has come down upon my lord the king, They're going to drive you from men. You'll dwell with the beasts of the field. And they'll make you eat grass like an ox. And they will wet you with the dew of heaven seven times shall pass over you till you know the most high rules in the kingdom of God. And he gives it to whoever he chooses. And inasmuch as they gave the command to leave the stump and the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be assured to you after you come to know 
that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins and being righteous in your iniquity by showing mercy to the poor, perhaps there may be a lengthening of your prosperity. And this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar at the end of 12 months. So the interpretation is finished in verse 27. And as you look at 28 through 33, we have what brought him down. So he was walking around, and if you do extra credit here on on Babylon, I mean, it really was an unbelievable city. Uh, 300-foot walls, just let that sink in, 450-foot towers. And um, the Euphrates went right through through the middle of it. I mean, when when it falls in one night, um, Nebuchadnezzar's grandson will be, on the throne, and uh, he wasn't worried about a thing. They were, they were having a party inside while the Medes and the Persians' army were outside, but they weren't concerned at all. That's how secure this great city was. So he's taking it in now. He's reflecting. He said in verse 29, at the end of 12 months, a year has gone by, he was walking around the royal palace of Babylon And the king spoke, saying, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty? And while the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and they shall drive you from men, and you will dwell. Your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make you eat grass like oxen till seven times passes over you until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of heaven and men and gives it to whoever he chooses. And that very hour, the word was fulfilled concerning Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from men and ate grass like oxen. His body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair had grown like eagles' feathers and his nails like bird claws. Now, backing up just a little bit, we started with the first three verses where he's giving his personal testimony. Let's have an application here. Do you have a time and a place that you can point to in your life and you say, this is the day, this is the hour that I gave my personal, I gave my Lord, <laughs> I gave my life to my Lord Jesus Christ? Do you have one? Do you have a testimony? And um, I grew up in church, went to church every Sunday, but I didn't know Christ. I did not have a personal relationship with him. But I can tell you, watching Billy Graham in 1970, my parents' bedroom, I was just listening to the word of God as Billy Graham was simply preaching the gospel. And I don't know what happened. All I knew is I started crying. All I knew is that the Holy Spirit was real. And this is not just something you do on Sunday. And I was aware of the presence of God in my life, and I was born again. So if you ask me, um, do I have a time and a place that I can point to? And I'll tell you, yeah. And I can tell you I went to church before that, and I had religion, but I did not have a testimony. Nebuchadnezzar gave his testimony, but unfortunately... He's human. We all have feet of clay. Um, The Lord knew what was going to happen, so he gives him a dream. He wants to know the interpretation. And basically, we we get phrases from the the Bible, like the writing on the wall. Where does that come from? Daniel chapter 5. Well, getting cut down to size. Well, where does that come from? Daniel chapter 4. He's getting cut down to size. And he's going to be humbled. And um, we are in men's prayer yesterday. And um, we had a prayer request. I'll leave the person's known. It's, it's somebody's in a, a relative, one of the guys in men's prayer. And uh, he said, uh, it's a praise report, but sort of a prayer request at the same time. He says, I have a nephew who's very wealthy, has his own business. And he did something illegal, and he got sent to jail. He was not saved 
when that happened. But while he was in prison, his money was taken away. While he was in prison, he was in a cage. All he could do was think about his life. His money couldn't help him. And it was during that period of time that he gave his life to Jesus Christ. Now what he's doing from his prison cell is writing notes to his relatives with all these scriptures on how you need to be born again. But here's my point. He wasn't thinking at all about that when there were smooth sailing, and he had a lot of money. It was only when it was all taken away that he needed to be cut down to size. Put in a, what, 8 by 12, what are they, cells? For a couple years. And during that period of time, he did the serious thinking. And he gave his life to the Lord. So the prayer was for him, but it was also a praise report because his family members that were born again were praying that, how many times have you heard us say, Lord, whatever it takes. Good place for an amen. When you, th- when you think of the scope of eternity and what's at stake, that there really is a heaven, that there really is a hell, and you have friends and you have relatives that are not born again, it should light a fire under us to redeem the time, look for opportunities um, to share. Because you don't know that after you've shared with them that the Lord's got a plan, a watcher from heaven, who's saying, well, all he needs to be is cut down in size a little bit. That'll get his attention. I would like to say that always happens. But there are some people that are just so stubborn, they still won't. And, um, all right, so that happened in, to, to this brother who had to be cut down in size. And Don't think we don't worship golden idols today. We do. I have one more picture I want to put up on the screen of American, our American society. Oh, what a, how interesting. A little golden god. And we give one away every year. And, and, the, and, the, and the rich and the famous and the beautiful all show up and give an acceptance speech to it. So it doesn't have to be that. It could be as simple a question as What's the most important thing in your life? Don't raise your hand. Just give yourself an honest talking to right now. What is the most important thing in my life? And if it isn't the God of heaven and the Lord Jesus Christ, then you have an idol. Hard place to say amen, but amen. What's the great commandment? Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, with all your strength, with all your soul. Above father and mother, above sister and friends. Jesus said, don't think I've come to bring peace. I haven't. I've come to bring a sword. That in one's own family, there'd be those who would be for me and those who'd be against me. It's causing division. Well, that doesn't sound very loving. No, but it's true. Good place for day, amen. It's true. And uh, this, is, this is where we can't compromise. And when the command was given for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, hit the ground, they said, sorry, we can't do that. Even if it means you throw us in the fire, so be it. God's word says no, so we, we we're not going to do that. Pride. Verse 30, let's look at it. The king spoke, saying, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for royal dwelling for my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty? Pride. Where in the world did it come from? I'm glad you asked that question this morning. So let's turn to the book of Isaiah, chapter 14. Isaiah 14, picking it up in verse 12. It's Lucifer's fall from heaven. I like to call it the five eyes. In verse 12 of Isaiah 14, verse 12, How are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? And how is it you are, notice the word there, cut down to the ground. You who weaken the nations, for you said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of the congregation, on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. And the Lord says, oh no you won't. Jesus, in talking to the disciples, <clears throat> oh, they were all excited. They came back. Lord, you wouldn't believe it. The demons were even subject to us. And 
People are getting healed and saved. He says, that's nothing. I, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. And he's making reference that he was cut down. If you go to Ezekiel chapter 28, we have more information on what happened. Ezekiel 28, picking it up in verse, oh, the last part of verse 12 says, Concerning Lucifer, you were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Wow. There's actually a a creature that is considered perfect in beauty. Yeah, Lucifer. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. The sardex, topaz, diamond, barrel, onyx, jasper, sapphire, sapphire, Turquoise, emerald, gold, the workmanship of your timbles or pipes was created for you on the day, was prepared for you on the day that you were created. We should never equate Jesus on one hand and Lucifer on the other. Jesus created all things, including Lucifer. So there's there's not an equality there. He is a created being and very unique. It almost seems like he's able to perform through his body as a musical instrument. But it takes us back to the garden. If you look at verse um, 15, you were perfect, and then it has this word, this little word, until iniquity was found in you. Well, what was iniquity? By the abundance of your trading. I don't know what that means. This is in the heavenly realms, but he was involved in it. He became filled with violence within, and you sinned, and I cast you as a profane profane thing out of the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fire. Now here's where the pride comes in. He says, your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. And I, I do think of Hollywood at a time like this, and how they honor the beautiful people of the world. Um, but it was because of this pride of his beauty that he was lifted up. Pride, the five eyes, P-R-I-D-E. What is the middle letter? I. I is the problem. Me is the problem. And we have to deal with it. The Proverbs has a lot to say. I had to be very selective, so I only chose out five or six. I could have, could have quoted 40 this morning easily. Proverbs 8, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverse mouth I hate. When pride comes, then comes shame. But with the humble is wisdom. Proverbs 13. By pride, nothing comes but strife. And that's an interesting one to me. That if you're striving with somebody, the Bible says it's only because there's pride involved in it. Wow. But with well-advised, there's wisdom. Proverbs 14, in the mouth of the fool is a rod of pride, but the lips of the wise will preserve them. This one, people usually get turned around a little bit. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Proverbs 21, and a proud and a haughty man, a scoffer is his name, and he acts with arrogant pride. And the last one from Proverbs I'll quote, is a man's pride will bring him low. He'll get cut down to size. But the humble in spirit will retain honor. I want to give you a New Testament example of another great man named Herod who also was cut down in the same way Nebuchadnezzar. But for this, you need to turn to Acts chapter 12. The setting in Acts 12 is picking up in verse 20. It says that Herod had been very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. But they came to him with one accord, having made uh, Blastius, the king's chamberman, their friend. And they asked for peace because their country was supplied with food by the king's country. Now, what I think is being said here is they just want to, they want to flatter Herod. They want to get back in his good graces because he's the food supply. He's them. So when he comes out on a point of day, verse 21, 
On a set day, Herod, arrayed in a royal apparel, sat on his throne and gave an orientation to them. And this would have been in Caesarea. Whether it was in the amphitheater or not, we're not sure. But we've been to this place and have visited it. And the people kept shouting, the voice of a God, not a man. Then immediately the angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give the glory to God. He was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God grew and multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry. And they also took with them John, whose surname is Mark. So here we have another king who did not give God the glory. He was sitting up there just soaking it in and his shining. Josephus has something to say about the brilliance of this gown, how it just glimmered when he came out and stood before the people. And um, what happened here is he was <laughs> eaten from the inside out by worms and he was cut down to size. He's gone. Jesus in teaching... The subject was um, food. What can I eat? What can't I eat? And the Lord explains, was explaining to him, look, food has nothing to do with your spiritual life. Now, this would have been offensive to any Jew, correct? So then Jesus' teaching on pride goes like this. He says, what comes out of a man, that doesn't defile him. What you eat, what you drink, it goes out and it comes out. That doesn't necessarily defile you. But he, he says, from within, out of the heart of men, there proceeds evil thoughts, adulteries, fornication, murder, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, then pride, foolishness. All these things come from within. And this is really what defiles a man. Now, if, if you were a Pharisee and you saw a sinner walking down the street, they would take their garments and hold them close. Because if they would happen to touch that person who was a sinner, they would become defiled. So the Lord, and this was nothing more than arrogance on their part. They're no different than the guy that was walking down the street. John's warning to us about our enemies. Of course, I'll get to Lucifer as our, our main adversary. But John, John's warns, warning in 1 John 2, he says, For all that is in this world, <clears throat> the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, it's not of the Father, but it's in the world. For us men, it's usually we take a pride in our profession. I think we should be the best or try to be the best at what we do. And when people compliment you, let's say you're a carpenter and you just made this incredible piece of furniture. And, um, you know, they, they're going on and on and on just how wonderful of a carpenter you are. Well, you can be gracious and say thank you very much. But in the back of your head, you better be saying praise the Lord. All good and perfect gifts come from where? Above. Or maybe you're brilliant and you, you can be in some field. Well, who, who created the mind that brought the brilliance? It all goes back to the Lord. What do we have that we haven't received? That's a good place for an amen crowd. We have nothing. So all we can do is, is really give God the glory. It's interesting to me that our adversary never changes his MO or his method of attack against us. This is no different than the very first time he went after Eve. I'm quoting Genesis 3, verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, well, that's the lust of the flesh, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, the lust of the eyes, and that it was desirable to make one wise. Well, that's the pride of life. He hasn't changed a bit. She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave to her husband with her. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. That's what we're, our enemies are. Pride will bring you down. Um, if you asked the question of God's judgment, why did God destroy Sodom and Gomorrah? 
90% of you are going to think in your mind it was because of homosexuality. Do you know that's not what the Bible teaches? Ezekiel 16 says, look, this was the iniquity of Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, fullness of food, abundance of idleness, a lot of time on their hand. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and the needy. Life was easy. They had abundance. They were full of pride, and they couldn't care less about the poor. It blesses my heart that Randy, after all these years, still has a heart for the poor. And I um, encourage you to check out the table. Um, we know because we're involved with Haiti what a starving baby looks like. And that's why we're down here. So remembering the poor. So how should we walk in light of a Bible study on, on, on pride? Um, while you're turning, I want you to turn to Second Corinthians chapter 12. And while you're turning, I'm going to quote what I feel the balance should be with our walk with the Lord. I'm quoting Romans, Romans 12, verse 3. Paul says, For I say, through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. You shouldn't be proud because you got more faith than somebody else because the Bible teaches that he measures it out differently and he gives different gifts to different people. And that's the Holy Spirit's doing. And so he says, don't think more highly than you ought to. Now, if you're in Second Corinthians uh, chapter 12, um, Paul had every right to be proud. Because the Lord took him to heaven. It says in verse 1, uh, Yet doubt, it is doubtless not profitable for me to, to boast. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. It says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body, I don't know, or whether out of the body, I don't know. God knows. Such one was caught up to the third heaven. Now there's the heavens where the birds fly. There's a second heaven where the, the sun and the moon and the galaxies are. But the third heaven is the heaven where the throne of God is. That's where Paul was taken. And I know, men, and I was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which is not lawful for any man to utter. Of such a one I will boast, yet of myself I will not boast except in my infirmities. Yesterday a men's prayer we read this verse and we were all just dumbfounded by it because the Holy Spirit was speaking to Paul. He says, Paul, from here on out, every town you go to, you're going to be put in chains and beat up and thrown in jail. Every one. And the next verse says, and none of these things move me. None of these things move me. I, I wouldn't want that memo. For the rest of your life, Dwight, put your name there, nothing but trials <laughs> And heartache is, is going to come. But Paul says, that doesn't move me. Just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Throw me in the fire. That isn't going to move me. I'm not going to lose my faith. I'm not going to be lost wife. I'm not going to look back to the old ways. And um, as far as the term in Revelation of overcoming, what does that mean? It means just hang in there, gang. Do the four basic things that is laid out for us in being a Christian. Acts chapter 2 is how to live the Christian life. Bible study, the apostles' doctrine, breaking of bread, communion, fellowship with one another. That's what a bunch of you do after the service. You go out and hang out at uh, some restaurant. That's, and in communion, remembering the main thing and keeping it the main thing. I can do that. And when I look at that, what, what am I supposed to do as a Christian? Those four things. And I can do that from beginning to end. And um, I hope that has become your custom. And uh, so let's take it a step farther. He says, I won't boast in that. But then he said in verse 7, unless I should be exalted or get puffed up, above measure by the abundance of the revelation, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, 
a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure, unless I become full of pride and actually think that I'm better than what I should be. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me, and he said to me, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. Uh, what impresses me here is Paul didn't ask after the second prayer. He went to the third one. And after the third prayer, the Lord talked to him. He says, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. What does he say? Therefore, most gladly will I rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon us. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and needs and persecutions and distress. For Christ's sake, for when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Another good place for an amen. You know, it's so contrary to our culture. It's so contrary to the opposite of climbing the corporate ladder where the Lord tells us that I'm to esteem you higher than me and you're to esteem me higher than you. Our DNA just isn't wired like that. Um, You know, the world wants to be at the top of the chart and he wants that little golden God for his efforts and he wants to be recognized for it. So let's begin to wind this thing up this morning. Uh, People boast of their good works. And this is a good scripture when people think they're going to heaven because they're, they're doing good things. It's not because of grace, it's because of good works. Ephesians 2, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it's the gift of God. Not of works, lest... Anyone should boast. Oh, look what I've done. For we are his workmanship. Now, having said that, yet, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them, but never glory in the works that we have except to say, well, praise the Lord. Good place to say, well, praise the Lord. (laughs) All right, we'll close this by having... um, what we can boast in, in Galatians 6, but God forbid that I should boast except, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. James 4 says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. 1 Peter 5 repeats it and said, you young people, now let me just get a little sidetracked here. I understand, because now I'm old, when I was young, that um, young people are in the, you know, we had a saying, you don't trust anybody over 40, (laughs) period. And the idea of learning, no, we didn't want to learn. We wanted to change. We thought we were wiser than the older. But here, Peter is saying, likewise, you younger submit yourself to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another. And then clothe yourself with humility. And then he says, because God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Our last verse is in Daniel chapter 4. So turn back to the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 4 begins with Nebuchadnezzar's personal testimony. But then he begins to take credit for what God had done. God raised up Nebuchadnezzar. But he raised up himself. And as a result, he had to be dealt with. He had to be taken to the woodshed. He had to be cut down to size. And when he went through his seven years, the Bible says he came to his senses. Something all of a sudden clicked and says, what kind of a fool am I to think that I am anybody in the light of this creator of the universe? I gave a God of Wonders um, to a friend who works on carburetors. He's 81 years old. And um, I needed my carburetor worked on again, (laughs) so I went to see him. And he says, you know, Dwight, you gave me this DVD called God of Wonders, but I don't even have a DVD player until just the last couple months. 
And he says, I watched this thing. And he says, it's one of the most beautiful things that I ever saw. And about the greatness of our God and how awesome is his creation. And um, when Nebuchadnezzar stood up and said, nah, it's all about me. It's for my majesty. I made all this stuff. I made it work. Well, when he came to his senses, he ends, and we'll end chapter four as we make our way through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, book by book. I want to reread the last two verses, and we'll call it a day. At the same time, my reason returned to me, and the glory of my kingdom, my honor, and my splendor returned to me. My counselors and nobles resorted to me. I was restored to my kingdom, and excellent majesty was added to me. You see, there's nothing wrong with it. It's the love of it. I think that was part of Randy's song, too. Nothing wrong with it. But if you love it, then you're, like you said, it's a poison pill. All that was given back to him because now he could handle it. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and honor the king of heaven and all whose works are truth and his ways are just and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. Let's stand as we close in prayer this morning. Lord, as we consider your word, it's the old saying, if the shoe fits, then Lord, we... uh, Allow your spirit to bring us to a place where we need to be in humility before you because you do resist the proud, but you give grace to the humble. But in closing, all of us are praying for loved ones who really don't think they need to be saved. They're sort of like the man who was building more barns because he had so much stuff and then said, kick back. You have eat, drink, and be merry. You have a lot for many years to come. And the Lord says, thou fool, because tonight your soul is required of you. And then whose things will those belong to? Lord, whatever it takes for our loved ones that we're praying for, we pray that you would bring them to the end of themselves, Pray if necessary, you'd cut them down to size. Lord, because we want to see them again someday in heaven. Thank you for your word in Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.